Hello from ABA Annual Meeting 2017 in New York City. I'm Lawrence Coletti. I'm Talmadge Boston. I'm Jim Conroy. I'm Evan Thomas. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. And we're back. Uh, It's my privilege today to welcome the authors panel. Uh, Their session that they were uh, speaking at was called The Law as a Platform for Writing. So welcome, gentlemen. We're glad to be here. Excellent, excellent. So all of you uh, have some legal experience, and we'll get into that in a little bit. And all of you are authors. And so let's start with the bio. That's probably the best place to begin here. So Talmadge, you've been on the air before. You were, of course, on our uh, ABA Journal Modern Law Library with Lee Rawls. But uh, let's start with you. Well, six years ago at the ABA annual meeting, we did our first lawyer authors panel. We started with Scott Turow, Jeffrey Tubin, and Stephen Carter, and it proved to be such a popular program, very well attended, better attended than almost every program at the convention. So it became an annual function. So this is the sixth year in a row. We've never duplicated a lawyer author, and we're excited about this year's panel with Evan Thomas, Jim Conroy, and Steph Cha. Excellent. James. Is it Jim or James? Jim. Jim. Although James is on the cover of the book. <laughs> so now I'm torn. <laughs> so, how about where do you work? What do you do? Well, I've been uh, a lawyer for 35 years. I'm semi-retired now. And uh, before that, I was a Capitol Hill staff person, speechwriter, press secretary. And uh, that's my story in a few sentences. Excellent. Evan? Uh, I went to law school but never practiced. Instead, I became a journalist for 34 years at Time and Newsweek. I was the Washington bureau chief for Newsweek for 10 years. I've written nine books and most recently done some teaching at Princeton. Excellent. Excellent. So we've got to start with your books. And so I understand that uh, under your belt, Talmud, you have four, Jimmy, you have two, and Evan, you have nine books. And uh, not all of them, I believe, are legally related. So who wants to go first uh, with their collection of books? Just give us a little bit about them and uh, theme of writing. Well, I'll go first. This is Talmadge, and I've always loved history since I was a child. And my first love was baseball history, so my first two books were about baseball history. 1939, Baseball's Tipping Point, with a forward by John Grisham. The second, Baseball and the Baby Boomer, with a forward by Frank DeFord. Then I got into law, and uh, my third book was... Raising the Bar, The Crucial Role of the Lawyer in Society, forward by Dick Thornburg. And my fourth and most recent, came out last September, is on presidential history. It's called Cross-Examining History. A Lawyer Gets Answers from the Experts About Our Presidents. Ken Burns wrote the foreword. And one of the people I interviewed for the book was Evan Thomas, talking about Nixon. His new book on Nixon had just come out. So that's how Evan and I became acquainted. Excellent, excellent. So let's transition to Evan, and we'll get to you, Jim. That was a nice segue to you. Well, although I never practiced law, I've been using it uh, ever since because the law teaches you critical thinking and how to spot the issue. That's a particularly important thing in journalism. And uh, so I I feel that my legal training has been incredibly useful. Fortunately, I don't write like most lawyers. I write more clearly. Uh, But but actually, the really good lawyers do write clearly and simply. I, I, I worked at a law firm one summer, and I noticed the young lawyers wrote this awful Latinate argle-bargle. But the old lawyers, they wrote like sports writers. They, they got right to the point. And uh, I think legal training is great for writing if you use it right. Excellent. And Jim? Yeah, well, um, I, uh, too, was a childhood history fan from the age of about six, I think, and uh, fell in with the wrong crowd and wound up in law school. But I do agree that 
law school is a good school of uh, reasoning and, and analysis. Uh, I find it useful to sift evidence as well when I'm doing historical research, you know, who's telling the truth, who isn't, uh, what makes sense, what doesn't. Uh, my first book was about uh, Lincoln and the Hampton Roads Peace Conference of 1864, which was uh, Lincoln and William Seward, both of whom were lawyers, sitting down with three very senior Confederate leaders, all three lawyers, uh, in an effort to try to negotiate an end to the war with what we know to be uh, lack of success, but it was an interesting story. And that's called Our One Common Country. And the second book is uh, Lincoln's White House, which pretty much speaks for itself and uh, an effort to kind of recreate everyday life in Lincoln's world in the White House during the Civil War years. So at Talmadge, I understand that Jim received an award for his Lincoln's White House book. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the biggest award somebody who's writing about Lincoln can get every year is the Lincoln Prize. And so Jim's book won the 2017 Lincoln Prize. To give the audience an idea, last year there were 149 books written about Lincoln. Uh, and so they're all theoretically eligible for the award. And so it, it's quite an honor. And the past recipients is a who's who of American biographer. So it's it, it's really put Jim, his first book was a finalist for it. So uh, he's got a bright future uh, with American history with, with that award on his resume. That's astounding to me that, uh, that there's so many books written about Lincoln that you now have an award each year for that writing. Yeah, well, I should say two things. One, uh, Talmadge's books are very impressive, and uh, I've enjoyed uh, them uh, very much. And I think uh, Evan's one of my favorite writers. I, I think uh, The War Lovers is, in fact, in my top three. Right, thank you. And um, Ike's Bluff and uh, Being Nixon and the, the Bob Kennedy book. And talented man. I'm, I'm honored to be on the panel with both of these fellows. Well, Talmadge, I want to get back to you. So I think this is so interesting. So uh, I think we nearly missed, uh, I think we did miss, but it was, must have been a near miss uh, a couple of years ago at ABA Annual in Chicago. I actually uh, was out in the audience uh, watching that author's panel. And of course, David Latt was there and uh, we've had him on. I've done an interview with him about his book, Supreme Ambitions, which published through Anchorwick Publications, uh, which used to be a publications uh, organization or entity within the ABA. And so anyway, I mean, that was a, a couple years ago, but you said it's been on for six years. And so kind of want to, if we could, just kind of walk through the years and uh, hallmark the attendees. Well, the first year was, was Scott Turo, Stephen Carter, and, and Jeffrey Tubin. So we, and it was in Chicago, and Scott was helpful to put the panel together. And uh, obviously with superstars of, of that caliber, you get quite a response. The next year was in San Francisco. We had Marsha Clark of O.J. Simpson fame, who's now a best-selling legal thriller, along with David O. Stewart, who's become one of our top historians, who's also quite a lawyer before he became a full-time writer. He clerked for Lewis Powell on the United States Supreme Court. He argued two cases of the Supreme Court. So we had David Stewart. And then the next year we were in Boston. We had Richard North Patterson, who's one of the top legal thriller authors with Allison Leota and and uh, Kenneth Mack, who's a, a leading historian, who's a professor at Harvard Law School. We then had, as you said, in, in Chicago, we had Bill Landay, whose book Defending Jacob sold over a million copies. And, and uh, Judge Richard Posner was supposed to be on our panel, but something came up at the last minute. And so uh, he was not able to join us. We had David Latt and another prominent legal thriller uh, author. And then uh, last year, we had Pulitzer Prize winning historian Annette Gordon-Reed, who really cracked the code on Sally Hemings and Thomas Jefferson. 
and we had Philip Margolin, who's had a number of New York Times bestsellers, and and so that's that's a kind of a quick summary of of the top. And and Corbin Addison was a, on our panel last year. He's one of John Grisham's proteges, uh, living in Charlottesville. John's endorsed him, and so he's got a bright future. So we try to have diversity, you know, males, females, uh, and and uh, fiction, nonfiction, and so many lawyers aspire to write for publication that uh, to get a chance to hear people who've actually succeeded uh, is the reason why the program has been so well attended and keeps getting, uh, we keep getting asked to do it year after year. Well, it seems to be a really successful program. I remember uh, we were also in San Francisco and I do remember uh, that program as being one of the more well attended and it seems like it attracts an audience. And so just kind of a fun aside, we were joking a little bit uh, in the pregame to this uh, interview, there was one person that snubbed you uh, during the six-year uh, tenure of the author's panel. Who was that? Well, with all due respect, uh, Judge Richard Posner all of a sudden had some emergency come up and he was not able to join us. But uh, in fact, uh, three on the panel is really an optimum number. Uh, I, I was a little concerned that you know, the program lasts an hour, and when you have uh, four on the panel, you know, you really don't get to go in as much depth. And so uh, three is an optimum number. That, that was a great discussion. I know we're going to have that with this year's panel. And so just real quick before we move on to the center topic of uh, this interview, you know, what do you talk about when you're up there in the author's panel? What kind of subjects? Well, we assume that everybody in the audience is a lawyer who aspires to write for publication. And so the idea is, how did you do it? How did, Evan, how, you, you went through law school, University of Virginia, you decided not to practice law, but you became one of our top American journalists, Time and Newsweek. The question you ask him, how does the legal training put your mind in a position where you can be a top-notch author? Jim, you're a practicing lawyer for years. Then you step out. You decide to write history, and you get recognized for it. What's the process? How do you find an agent? Uh, what are the pitfalls? What are the setbacks? And these are what the people in the audience want to know. You know, what advice do, do each of the people have for people who are aspiring to write for publication? So uh, when it's over, of course, people come up. We have a book signing, and, and, and people can ask their own questions of, of each of our panelists, their own specific questions that, that's kind of nagging at them, that's keeping them from taking that step out to attempt to write for publication and, and do that to supplement or ultimately perhaps replace their entire legal practice. That's a great segue into my next question. And so, you know, Legal Talk Network, we know a lot of writers, uh, mostly in the form of bloggers. And so Bob Ambrogi is a, uh, an example that we use a lot. He's our host of Lawyer to Lawyer. Uh, Sharon Nelson also writes a blog. There's many others that write. And I, I'd be, uh, and I'm sorry I didn't get to everybody, but uh, there is a limited time here. And so, but anyway, it seems that writing and uh, legal practice go hand in hand. So the primer to my next question is, now, Talmadge, you're a, still a full-time attorney. Yeah. Uh, Jim, you're a part-time attorney, and uh, Evan, you're a no-time attorney right now, but you did go to law school. So let me hand it over to you. The title of this uh, of your speaking session was Author's Panel, The Law as a Platform for Writing. So what about law school, being around law, makes that such a great jumping-off point for authors and, and other types of writer? I'm so struck by the law both makes writing exciting in the sense of it. The law is all about conflict, litigation, people fighting with each other. All writing is about, con all good writing is about conflict. So in that sense, the law is perfect for it. But, and this is a big but, it's astonishing to me how dull the law can make conflict. In fact, <laughs> that's almost the point of the law. I've spent the last week at the Library of Congress uh, going through the papers of Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. And uh, I have her case files. 
And it's they take these raw facts, prison riots, rape, uh, various forms of abuse, giant constitutional issues, and the justices, as they communicate with each other, make it as dull as they possibly can. Now, there's a reason for that. They're trying to oppose some order on chaos, some kind of regularity, you know, bring the law to the rawness of human emotion. But it is fantastic how they can take things that are just, would make great movies and put you to sleep as I'm sitting there in my chair in the Library of Congress uh, on a regular basis. And as I say, they do it intentionally. Now, every once in a while, the human dimension creeps out in there and they, they go after each other. But mostly they're trying to regularize chaos and find rules and ways of, of, of making sense out of things that often don't make sense. So in that sense, if you're too much of a good lawyer, you'll make it all dull. One reason why I got out of the law was because I found it a little dull. I wanted to tell the story as I saw it, not as I was reading about it in an F second. And I, I, I covered a couple of trials. I was amazed. I covered a bribery trial, an abscam bribery trial. It astonished me how dull they made it. This is about a congressman taking money from the FBI in a scam. It should have been a movie. This went on for days. They had great characters, but the lawyers made it as dull as possible. That just fascinated me. And James, same question. Well, I've had three different incarnations, I guess, as a writer. One is as a speechwriter for Senator Muskie and, and uh, then for Senator Hollings from South Carolina. And uh, learned how to write that way, you know, to be heard. And uh, then as a litigator, I was uh, a brief writer to be read by judges and other lawyers and picking up on Evan's comment, you know, I deliberately avoided the wherefores and the heretofores and the hereases and all that sort of stuff and started right out with a punch on the nose if I could to try to grab people's attention. And uh, now that I'm writing books, you know, it's a different, it's a third uh, way of life uh, as a writer. And I think that's, that's been helpful. Was there a particular moment when it bridged a gap in your mind? You know, so I think... I'm going to back away a little bit from the practice of law and become a full-time author. Yeah, I thought about that from the day I started law school, actually. Before that, I, I, I wanted to be a history writer or historian from, from childhood. And for one reason or another, I just didn't do that. But uh, I've always had it in the back of my mind. And, uh, you know, I get the point where you, at least I got sort of burned out as a litigator, which you do after 32 years of combat, I think. At least I did. And uh, now I sort of keep a hand in, but... It was a good segue for me in my uh, third or fourth act, however you look at it. How about you, Talmadge? Well, I think anybody who decides to write for publication has some epiphany when all of a sudden you just feel called to write, and, and you can't explain it, and you're not sure how it happened. For me, uh, it started, uh, I went to, since my last name's Boston, I've always been a Red Sox fan. <laughs> I went to the uh, Hall of Fame induction for Carl Yastrzemski, my all-time favorite player, and on the airplane back to Dallas uh, after it was over, I started writing about baseball history and, and the Hall of Fame, and, and that ultimately became uh, my first book about 1939, the year the Hall of Fame opened, and Lou Gehrig stopped his streak, and Little League was formed, and, and things like that. And once you start writing, until then, you've never really found the right outlet for your creative juices. And if you're a writer... That's where those juices flow. They come out of your mouth. They come out of your hand, on, out of your pen, onto the page. And it's hard to explain. And when you sit down, you don't know often exactly what's going to come out. 
and you feel like you're really using your imagination, and it's just so much fun. Uh, and particularly when, when you get a good public reception that makes you want to keep on doing it. And so that was really the, the path that I followed. So at Jim and Talmadge, and you guys are both litigators, uh, are, I guess you are and were uh, both uh, litigators. Did you find that experience, do you find that that would help generate uh, writing, I guess, talent, or I guess uh, writing skill, or did it bring something out uh, inside of you, all those experiences you pulled from uh, being a litigator, uh, did that well, find a way into your writing? Evan said it best that uh, it's all about conflict. Every lawsuit is a conflict. And people who could not work out their conflict, if they could work it out, they never would have sued each other. And so that does bring you into the, the crossfires of, of people in conflict. And some people view those conflicts with kind of a dull state of mind. Some people see the, the excitement, the adventure, and it's up to you to, to produce words that, that capture that excitement that so often is missing uh, unless a top writer is addressing it. And so... Yeah, day in, day out, litigation, conflict does enhance your sense of the potential drama in the human situation. And, and so, yeah, that, that's definitely helpful. What do you think, Jim? Well, an older lawyer told me one time there were three ways to go with a brief. One was to cite the facts, the other was to cite the law, and the third was to pound the table, <laughs> And uh, depending on the nature of the case. And uh, I found it very useful to learn how to assemble facts and the law and pound the table a bit and weave it all together and try to make a compelling argument out of it. And I think it is a good you know, background and training for any kind of writing. So Evan, back to you. Uh, you mentioned uh, how the law portrayed things in the most boring way imaginable as uh, part of your inspiration. But what about uh, from your legal chops back in law school coming out? Uh, do you pull upon any of those experiences uh, to uh, generate your writing? Well, one thing, constitutional law, the 14th Amendment is sort of the basis of everything. Yeah, equal protection and, and, and due process. And uh, so I, I've used that. That I took constitutional law from J. Harvey Wilkinson, who's now a federal judge at UVA Law School and a long time ago, 40 years ago. And that basic understanding of what equal protection is is something I've, I've been using ever since. More broadly, though, really good lawyers, I think, good trial lawyers are great storytellers. Uh, that's, that's what they're doing. They're telling a story. Now, I've seen and read about some pretty bad storytellers, lawyers who are all over the place and we used way too much evidence and circled the airport and, and basically put everybody to sleep. But the great storytellers, I wrote a book about one of them, Edward Bennett Williams, possibly the greatest, you could argue, really, the greatest lawyer of the 20th century. He was an unbelievable storyteller. And when he went before a jury, he knew he was basically telling them a story. Even when he was arguing before the Supreme Court, you can go listen to these Supreme Court arguments, and most of them are dull and confusing. Not Edward Bennett Williams. It's like he's in a criminal courtroom. He's very colloquial. He's very to the point. He's funny. Uh, now, it takes a lot of confidence and chutzpah to do that, and maybe only Williams could get away with something like that. And it just seems to me the really great lawyers are great storytellers. That's interesting you say that. Uh, we uh, It's a little bit ago now, but we had the Trial Lawyers Hall of Fame on. And, of course, one of the uh, main trial attorneys was uh, Fred Levin. And uh, he wrote a book called And Give Up Showbiz. And it was about his career. And I, and I think it may have been ghostwritten, but it was about him. That was one of the things that, uh, that he talked about was, uh, as a trial lawyer, you do have to be uh, a good storyteller. It's how you reach out to people. And he said when he became successful, and I'm, and I'm paraphrasing here, is when he became the most successful is when he was able to relate to people. So 
And kind of back to you guys, that ability to relate to others in the courtroom, are you finding that helps you connect with your reader? Well, juries are real people, and therefore they're capable of going to sleep when they're bored. And so <laughs> if you're going to be successful, you better have some snap, crackle, pop in your presentation. And as Evan says, the best way to communicate any point is through a story. I mean, that was why Abraham Lincoln, one of the many reasons why he stands at the top of the mountain was he was always thinking in terms of metaphors and analogies and stories about unrelated things to the point he was trying to make. But because the stories were so compelling, uh, he made the point with great emphasis and people always remembered it. So Lincoln, a consummate lawyer, is, is the perfect example of using those storytelling skills in a way that commanded the attention of first juries and then the American public. So my second to last question for you, and we've kind of got into it a little bit. So what I'd like to do is leave the audience with uh, your favorite legal book that's not yours, okay, legally related text, uh, or not a text, but a, a novel or, or writing, uh, your favorite that's not yours. But uh, and then I'd also like you to share a non-law one that's your favorite as well. So uh, Talmadge, why don't we start with you? Well, I love John Grisham. And uh, of course, he's by far the most successful lawyer, author. And uh, his book, The Appeal, I thought uh, demonstrated more powerfully than anything else the evils of partisan political election of judges and how so many of our states, including Texas where I live, uh, have those elections such that our judges become politicians and they run in very expensive political campaigns and so they become bought and paid for and their point of views are not impartial but they're partial in favor of the people who supported their elections. And so uh, that is uh, my favorite legal book to really make a point about really, the, in my mind, the greatest weakness about our current uh, American judicial system. And then, you know, my other favorite book, of course, is most lawyers' favorite book is To Kill a Mockingbird and the story of Atticus Finch, who is still the great role model for our profession. And that book is, is so timeless and caused people my age of my generation to want to grow up and be Atticus Finch and, and be that moral conscience for the community. And, and that's what I aspired to ever since I saw that movie and read the book. Excellent. And how about a non-legal book? Oh, gosh. I guess my favorite non-legal book that comes to mind is, is I guess, tied into law is, is any top biography of Abraham Lincoln, just because <laughs> uh, he's in a class by himself. Uh, I have this speech I give called The Ten Commandments of Presidential Leadership, and I identify a different president for each leadership commandment. And I tell people, Lincoln was A-plus in all ten categories. He is so far superior to everybody else. And every time I read a new Lincoln biography, it's like reading the Bible. I'm picking up new information, new insights, and, and that's the beauty of studying Lincoln. Jim, same question. Uh, favorite legal, favorite non-legal book? Well, I don't read a lot of legal books, but the one that had the biggest influence on me was Scott Turow's 1L, which was a, a journal pretty much of his first year at Harvard Law School. And that drew me into law school, so I suppose that's my, my favorite legal book. And uh, non-legal book measured by the number of times I've read it, I'd have to say The Great Gatsby. I always tell people uh, coming out of the movies uh, a couple years back when they did the the remake of The Great Gatsby, a uh, young couple behind me, and one guy says to his girlfriend, well, that was a lousy movie. And she said, yeah, but you should have read the book. That stunk even worse. <laughs> <laughs> Evan, same question. Uh, for a legal book, A Civil Action by Jonathan Haar, which takes a very tangled case but is an incredible story. That is a good and, one. And uh, just a wonderful one. I, I taught it, actually, in college. 
Uh, for more generally, I think all the King's Men by Robert Penn Warren just captures politics and really human nature in all of its essence. Excellent. Last question for you guys to close it out. If our listeners want to follow up, learn more about what we discussed today, including getting into writing themselves if they're an attorney, how can they reach you? And let's start back again with uh, Talmadge. Well, I'm a lawyer in Dallas, and I'm currently at the Winstead Law Firm. Uh, I've got a website, talmadgeboston.com, that has all my contact information, so I'd, I'd love to hear from anybody who's interested in uh, pursuing writing. And Jim? Um, well, I'm still practicing in Boston at a little boutique litigation firm that my partners and I started 25 years ago called Donnelly, Conroy, and Gelhar in Boston. And uh, my website is James B, as in boy, Conroy.com. And Evan? Uh, I can be reached through my publisher, Random House, Evan Thomas at Random House. You can just call the PR people there. Well, we've reached the end of the road for today's episode, but I want to thank our guest gentlemen for joining us today and also our listeners for tuning in. And if you like what you heard today, please rate us an Apple podcast. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. Thank you, guys. Is that okay we get on time? If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Hey.